1: 1886. there was a pharmacist in Atlanta, Georgia. And he came up with this like concoction. And and he said that it would cure all kinds of different like common ailments, like headaches and sore throat, those kind of things. And so this, this pharmacist, he brings it into his pharmacy there in Atlanta, Georgia, 1886. And he begins to kind of talk it up a little bit. And he's telling people what it'll do and different things like that. It's this carbonated drink thing that he made. And one day, he sells his first glass of it for five cents. Five cents, he sells his first glass. And, and, and apparently, people liked it because he started selling more of it. He started bringing it to his shop every single day, and people were buying it up. They were telling their friends about it. You know, they were, they were sharing what they had experienced with this, with this drink. That's the way news used to travel, right? Just people telling each other about it. They didn't have Instagram where it would immediately be like in Australia and China at the same time. Like you had to tell people about it. And so that's what happened. They, they began to tell each other about this drink. And before you knew it, like people were coming into the shop um, to, to have some of that. Five years later, 1891, this pharmacist sells this drink, this, this uh, mixture to another pharmacist in 1891 for $2,300. Anybody know the product I'm talking about? Coca-Cola, that's right. So Coca-Cola, 1891, sold for $2,300. And so just 136 years later, that drink that sold for five cents one day in Atlanta, Georgia, today will be consumed over two billion times, just today, right? Worldwide. In fact, that logo, the Coca-Cola logo, is recognized by 94% of the world. Can you believe that? 94% of the world recognizes that red and white logo and they know what it is. 94% of the world is over 7 billion people, right? There's 8 billion people in the world. Not only that, I, I heard that, um, that the, the, the word Coca-Cola is the second most recognized word in the world right behind okay. <laughs> Right? And so like Coca-Cola is, is everywhere. And I started, I, I read that story this week and I just started thinking like, what would happen if those people in that Atlanta pharmacy hadn't told anybody? You know, like what would happen if they just hadn't told somebody about this thing that they had found? And you could do that with all kinds of different stuff like Henry Ford or the Wright brothers or whatever. Like what if people had not told about this thing that they had found? Right? And the main point that I want us to talk about today, the, the main point is this, told people, tell people. Okay? Told people, tell people. If you have a Bible, open it to Second Kings chapter 7 with me this morning. Second Kings chapter 7. So we've been in the series of Kings and we're walking through it. And, and chapter seven today, um, really to understand the context, we need to go back a chapter or two and, and kind of figure out what's going on there. Chapter six tells us that the king of Aram, which is Syria today, has gone in and attacked Israel. If you remember, they're the kingdom in the north. Israel's in the north, and so they've attacked Israel, and they've they've laid siege to the capital city in Israel called Samaria. Okay. And so what that means is this laying siege thing is like this ancient battle tactic that they would do um, because they didn't have like modern technology for war and things like we do now. Cities were protected by these massive walls, very thick, lots of gates and that kind of thing. And so they couldn't just like throw a bomb at it or run over it with a tank or something like that. So what they would do is they would just camp outside of the city walls and they would camp outside of the gates and so the the army of Aram has come in they're camped outside the gates and what that means is that nothing can go in and nothing can come out and so what they're doing is they're just going to wait until all of the resources inside of the city walls dry up so essentially they're trying to starve them to death that was the tactic okay and so they're starving them to death and and things get really bad like if you have your bible open look at chapter 6 verse 25 Things got really bad. They're eating all kinds of crazy, weird, nasty things because all of the food in the city is gone. Verse 25 says, So there was a severe famine in Samaria, and they continued to siege against it until a donkey's head sold for 34 ounces of silver and a cup of dove's dung sold for two ounces of silver. If you're you're reading out of the King James Bible, I'm sure that verse is really interesting, right? but they're 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 eating like donkey's head and dove's dung and people like debate like is that literal or is it representative of something i'm not really sure but the point is they're resorting to eating things that they never would have eaten before and they're paying like premium prices for it inflation is crazy in the city at this time and they're eating all kinds of nasty things and then like you see in verse 26 there's this story about these two ladies and they're in a fight because um, they're arguing. They, they had come to an agreement to say, things are so bad, we're so hungry, that let's cook and eat each other's children. So that's what they've done. And the first lady is mad because they cooked and ate her son the first day. But now it's day two, and the other lady hid her son and so she's not mad that they killed and ate her, her boys, she's mad that this lady won't do the same. And things are terrible, right? And I know that that sounds crazy, and it is, but God actually said that that kind of thing would happen if they turned away from the Lord, Deuteronomy chapter uh, 28. You can actually read about that, that. He said things will get so bad that people will begin to eat their own. And that's what's happening here. And it's at this point that the prophet Elisha steps forward and he tells the king, he says, listen, things are bad but by this time tomorrow we'll be eating things that are good to eat and we'll be paying reasonable prices for it okay by this time tomorrow the Lord is going to provide and we won't be eating this stuff anymore and people were very skeptical of that and like how's this how's this going to happen right so we're going to read about it but before we do I want us to to pray so I'm going to pray and as I do why don't you just pray and ask the Lord to speak to you in this moment let's pray together God, we just thank you just for the time to come together as a church family and and to worship you and to open your word and see what it is that you have to say to us today. And so God, I pray that that's what would happen, that you would speak, that we would hear everything that you would have to say and nothing that I would have to say. God, we pray now for our church family in Conway and Josh as he is preaching there. God, I pray that you would open their ears and their hearts to hear from you for for the churches here in our community. Life song and new life and cross point and just all these different churches around. I pray God that you would move mightily in their churches this morning as well. But God, in this time and in this place would you speak to us. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Alright, second Kings chapter seven. Let's look at verse three. It says now four men with a skin disease were at the entrance to the city gate. And they said to each other, Why just sit here until we die? If we say, let's go into the city, we will die there because the famine is in the city. But if we sit here, we'll also die. So now, come on, let's surrender to the Armenians. And if they let us live, we will live. And if they kill us, we will die. Isn't that a profound statement, right? If they let us live, we'll live. And if they kill us, then we're going to die, right? Verse 5. So the diseased men got up at twilight to go to the Armenians' camp. When they, when they came to the camp's edge, they discovered that no one was there for the Lord had caused the Aramean camp to hear the sound of chariots, horses, and a large army. The Arameans had said to each other, the king of Israel must have hired the king of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to attack us. So they had gotten up and fled at twilight, abandoning their tents, horses, and donkeys. The camp was intact and they had fled for their lives. Verse eight, when these diseased men came to the edge of the camp, they went in into a tent to eat and drink. Then they picked up the silver, gold, and clothing, and went off and hid them. They came back and entered another tent, picked up things and hid them. Then they said to each other we 're not doing what is right. Today is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until morning light, our punishment will catch up with us so Let's go tell the king's household. And the diseased men came and called to the city's gatekeepers and told them, all right? So let's, let's talk about that for just a moment. What we see here is that, man, it's a bad situation, right? Terrible situation in the city, but God supernaturally provided. Like, don't miss that in this story this morning, that God supernaturally provided a way out for the people of Israel. The people are starving, they're dying in the city. We meet these four lepers here and they're outcasts, they're sitting outside of the gates. And and if you remember from last week, we talked a little bit about why that would have been about lepers and why they had to sit outside of the gates, right? And they say like, why, why just sit here until we die? It's such an important question. Why just sit here until we die? And they come to the conclusion, like we can't go back in there because we're gonna die from the famine So maybe if we go to the enemy's camp, there's a shot at least that they let us live, right? And so so that's what they decide to do. And as they get there, nobody's there. Just this perfect, like, pristine camp. Just all the plunder, all the gold, all the silver, all the food, all of it is just left there. And then we read in verse six that God actually caused that to happen, okay? God caused that to happen. It says, for the Lord had caused the Aramean camp to hear the sound of chariots, horses, and a large army. So this is a big moment. Like God has intervened. He's caused the army to hear like another army coming in and they just get up and they jet and they leave everything intact, right? And so these four diseased beggars have just hit the jackpot, right? Mega millions, whatever, like they hit it right there. And they have this dilemma. Do I hide it or do I share it? Do I hide it or do I share it? Do you remember, um, remember Halloween as a kid? Or if you, if you grew up like me, is was uh, fall festival season, right? And so you would go to these different things and you would come home with like this full, just giant hefty sized trash bag full of candy. And what do you do? You go to your room and you hide it, right? because you don't want parents, brothers and sisters, you don't want anybody else getting any of that. That's the reason as a parent now, I teach my kids about tithing every year <laughs> at Halloween. It's like 10%, bring it in here, you know? And so they, they go and they, they hide it, even though there's no way in the world like that they could or should eat all of that candy, right? I think that's what's happening here with these four lepers, that they, at first, they go in and they hide it twice. Did you see that verse eight? They they find all the stuff and they hide it, but then they start to feel guilty. And I love the way this guy named Eugene Peterson translates this verse um, in his commentary called The Message Translation. He says this in verse nine, finally they said to one another, we shouldn't be doing this. This is a day of good news and we're making it into a private party, okay? So I wanna be very clear here. Whenever they're talking about good news, they're not talking about the gospel of Jesus. They don't know anything about Jesus at this time. They're talking about the good news that they found of food and clothing and resources that will save those people inside of the camp wall. So they're not talking about that, but I think this is a clear picture of the need to share life-saving news with those who need it, okay? And so that's that's how we're going to approach this text this morning. A literal translation of the word gospel is good news. Did you know that? It's good news. And so what is our good news? What is our gospel message? It's that we had a bad situation, but God supernaturally provided, right? I want you to see Ephesians chapter 2. This is the gospel message. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, and you were dead, in your trespasses and sins. It's a bad situation. It it doesn't get any worse than being dead. Right? You with me? And so you were dead. But then the, the good news of the gospel breaks in and verse four says, but God who is rich in mercy and because of his great love that he had for us, he made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in our trespasses. That while we were Sinners, Romans 5.8 says, Christ died for us. And so our bad situation of sin and death was remedied by the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. And because of that, we have been offered life. And verse 6 says he, he raises us up with him and seats him with him, seats us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. And so if you're a Christian, man, that's your story that you were dead, but God made you alive. Right? And then verse 10 goes on to say, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, for a mission, for a purpose, which was prepared ahead of time for us to do. What is our mission? Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, he told us what our purpose on this earth was in Matthew chapter 28. He says this, Jesus came near and said to them, he says, all authority, like all authority, has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember this, I'm with you always, even to the very ends of the age, right? And so that's our story. Like we are good news people. We are good news people. God has supernaturally provided leading to our salvation through faith, which leads then to our commissioning, our our purpose, our mission on this earth. And so today with the time that we have left, we're talking about sharing good news. Sharing good news, which is a word that we call evangelism. And I know that that's maybe a scary church word, but evangelism has been described as one beggar telling another beggar where to find food, which is what we see in this story. And so, so don't miss this. Like we have to understand that evangelism is not talking down to people who need us to come in and rescue them or whatever. We're not talking down to them. No, we understand that we're a beggar too. If you remember last week, we talked about leprosy and how it's both literal and it's figurative. Figurative meaning that it represents this soul disease that every single one of us has called sin, right? And so we understand from what we talked about last week that we are all Every single person, Romans 3, 3 says, we are all beggars in need of the bread of life. The only difference is you and I have found it. We found it in Jesus, right? And so that's the only difference between us and a lost and dying world. We too are then faced with the dilemma that these beggars are faced with. Do we hide it or do we share it? Do we hide it or do we share it? Again, Eugene Peterson says, this is a day of good news and we're making it into a private party. Unfortunately, private party, I think, is how we could describe a lot of churches today, right? That we've just kind of found the stuff and we're happy that we have it, And we found it and so we we come in here and we like sing about it and we celebrate it and we talk about it and we study it and we say, what does that word mean and all these different things and we just end up kind of hoarding this good news to ourselves and we turn it into a private party while there's people on the outside who are desperate for the news that we found and how selfish we would have to be to keep it to ourselves, right? This is a day of good news. Don't turn it into a private party and so church, We have to actively fight against becoming a private party. We have to actively fight against that because it can happen so easily, both in our church, but also in our small groups and different things. Like if we're not careful, we can just become all about us and turn it into a private party and we have to fight against that. We exist for the good of others and the glory of God. That's why we exist as a church. And so now we see ourselves here in this text There's two things I think we can learn from these four diseased beggars about sharing good news. Two things. Number one, they see the need. They see the need. Look at verse nine. Then they said to each other, we're not doing what is right. We're not doing what is right. In this moment, they realize if they don't say something, then people will die people will die. Like people are literally starving to death in the city. The situation is as bad as it possibly could be, but the beggars realize that the news that they have can save them. Like they understand, that, no question about it, 100%. If they share this news, those people will be saved. And so, man, hear me. You and I will never have a passion for reaching the lost if we don't first understand the seriousness of their situation. We have to understand their desperate need that outside of Christ, they are dead men walking. But through the good news of Jesus, they can be saved. That's what we believe, right? (laughs) That's why we're here, because we believe that. That Jesus died so that every single person on planet Earth could be saved, every single person. Romans chapter 10, verse 13, for everyone, who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We believe that, like anybody, doesn't matter, tribe, tongue, nation, whatever, call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. It goes on though to say, but how can they call on them if if they've not believed? And how can they believe without hearing about it? And how can they hear without a preacher? See, every nation, tribe, language on this earth is, loved by God but they need to be told so that they can live right so they understand the need they understand that if they don't tell them they're going to die but I think they also realize in this moment that if they don't say something like they're going to be punished (laughs) that's what they that's what they say verse 9 if we're silent and wait until morning light our punishment will catch up with us Like they understand that it's not gonna go well for them if the king found out that they had just found all this life-saving news and they just kept it to themselves. So think about this with me for a minute. Do we believe that Jesus is cool with us just not doing the thing that he told us to do? Like he was explicitly clear about our instructions and our command to go and make disciples and we just don't. Have you ever told your, your kids to like do something, like maybe clean the room or something and you go and they go into their room and they shut the door and all that and you go in like an hour later, open the door and they're just like laying on their bed with their iPad or different things and they haven't cleaned a thing. How's that gonna go? <laughs> right? That's not gonna go well. Why do we just blatantly disregard what Jesus told us to do? I think we throw a lot of excuses out there to maybe make ourselves feel better that, and it's scary, or I don't know how to do that, or I don't know what to say, or I don't wanna offend them, but I think it's because we either don't see the need or we just don't care. We just don't care, but either way, I have to imagine that Jesus isn't pleased with it. And so two questions for you on this, like do some, do some uh, introspection, all right? Look at your own life, ask yourself these questions. Do you understand the stakes? Like, do you understand the need? That the reality is that real people will spend all of eternity in a real place called hell outside of finding life in Jesus. Do we believe that? Today, 59% of the world is unreached meaning they've never heard about Jesus. That comes from the International Mission Board. 59%, that's four and a half billion people have never heard the name of Jesus. Does it bother you that 94% of the world has heard about Coca-Cola? Like that, that this, in 136 years, this drink company, which I would say is not even that very, not, not that good, right? Dr. Per, Dr. Pepper is far superior. Right? In 136 years, they've done a better job than the church has at getting their message across the world. That should bother us. Do we see how much infinitely more important it is that they know of the life saving news of Jesus? So, do you understand the stakes? And the question, too, is do you really believe that the news that you found will save? Do you really believe? that the gospel message that you've found will save them if they only heard. If you do, I think we see what what happens. So number one, they see the need. Number two, they don't delay. They don't delay. Look at at verse nine again. They said, we're not doing what is right. Today is a day of good news. So let's go tell. Today. Today. So, so they understand the need, and they get up and they go, just immediately. They go, right? Immediately, they go. And so are we this way? Lifeway Research did, did a survey a few years ago, and they found that 80% of people believe that they have a personal responsibility to share the good news. But then they asked them, how many of you have done that in the last six months, and almost nobody had? of people said, I believe I have a personal responsibility to do this, but almost none of them have, and more than 50% of them haven't even invited somebody to church. So what, what does that mean? It means that we know what we are supposed to do, but we just don't do it. And I think, really, I think it comes down to urgency. Like, there's just no urgency. And maybe it could be other things. Maybe it could be that we don't really understand the need. Maybe it could be that we've just kind of grown numb to the good news ourselves. Maybe it could be that we assume that people here around us have heard the message like we do live in the Bible Belt and we probably assume that most people have probably heard this message. There's a pastor named Dean and Sarah. He wrote a book called Unsaved Christian and he says that the Bible Belt is is actually probably the most overlooked of all the mission fields because so many people just think think that they know Jesus when really they don't. What they have is a cultural type of relationship. They don't have an actual relationship with Jesus. And so if you push into that, and you just ask, man, why are you a Christian? And see how they respond. If it's something like, I don't know, I've, I've just kinda always been a Christian, or my grandma, you know, I grew up going to church, or um, it's just what, what we do, you know, we're, we're Christians. If, if you hear something like that, they're not saved. <laughs> Right? If it's anything other than, man, I, was, I, I needed Jesus and now I walk with him. Then you need to push into that. So maybe we just assume that people have heard it. I don't know, but, but I think it might be this, that maybe we have good intentions, but we just think I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow and tomorrow turns into days and that turns into weeks and that turns into months and we end up just sitting back and never really doing anything. And instead of like they do, they say, let's go and tell, we end up just stay in silence, right? And that's not what following Jesus looks like. We have to understand the urgency. Listen, the the clock is ticking. (laughs) Like, Like there is an urgency. Starving people don't have much time left. And so, We have to understand that living on mission means living on purpose. Like it doesn't just happen on accident, it takes intentionality of you and I saying, I'm gonna gonna leverage my life towards this thing. I have to intentionally focus on that. So leverage your whole life for the glory of God and the spread of his good news. Through your hobbies or through your job or through your friendships or your kids' activities, whatever, every sphere of life that you're in, you're leveraging it towards the gospel being shared with the world. And so teenagers, man, at your school, understand like you have a real opportunity in your school to, to share the good news of Jesus. Don't wait until you go to college or until you get married or whatever to really start living for Jesus, like, do it now. Moms and dads, Like, understand the urgency and the, the responsibility that you have to disciple your children and teach them to follow after him. You only have them for a short time, right? So. So point them to Jesus. Grandparents, everywhere you go, tell of the faithfulness of God in your life. All of us, like at your job, work for the glory of God and share what he's done in your own life and in your hobbies, do the same. Wherever you are, you have an obligation to share the good news. So share your story, right? What has Christ done in your own life? Have those gospel conversations. Invite them to come here, right? Invite them to come to church. I was reading recently, we, we live in an age of skepticism, right, and one of the main ways that people are finding a relationship with Jesus is by joining in with Christian community and kind of seeing what it's all about, and then they too end up following in that direction. And so invite people, man, that's so easy. Just invite people to come, and I'm, you're like, there's no more seats, and, and I know there's, there's, there's not a whole lot, but we're working on that, okay? But invite people. Invite people. Do whatever you can to bring friends and coworkers to church. And if you do, I make a promise to you. I promise I will always share the gospel. Always. There's a few reasons why I do that. I always make sure and share of the good news of Jesus, that, that we had a problem with sin, that there was separation at that, that cause, and Jesus stepped in and remedied it through his death and his resurrection, and now we... Are offered life. Like I preach that message every single Sunday. You may get tired of it, I don't know. There's three reasons why I do that. One, it's the only hope for those who are lost. It's the only hope for them. Two, like we Christians, we need to constantly hear the gospel. The gospel is not something that we ever move past and get into the deep stuff of, you know, like controlling our tongue or whatever. Like the gospel is the deep stuff. We only move deeper into it. So it's good for you and I to hear. But the third reason is, is I want you to hear it so many times that it just becomes planted in your head so that you can share it, right? And so I make that promise to you, bring people here. I will share the gospel. That's not to take anything off of your plate, any responsibility off your plate, but at least do that. So leverage your whole life towards it. Leverage everything that you have towards it, even your finances. Did you know that whenever you give here at Second, a portion of that goes to, it goes to a lot of different things, but it goes to the spread of the gospel around the world. One of the organizations that as Southern Baptists we are super proud of is the International Mission Board. I want you to check out this video.
0: We don't see points on a map. They aren't just places to us. We see stories of lives living without the hope found in Jesus. Today, somewhere between the Great Commission and the great multitude, we find ourselves facing the world's greatest problem, lostness. Even in the midst of natural disasters, humanitarian crises, and political instability. Southern Baptists send IMB missionaries to give their lives to the lost, living amongst those who have never heard the gospel, people in hard to reach places, people in cities, and those who are dispersed and displaced around the world. At the IMB, we believe that missionary presence cultivates gospel access, gospel access that knows no geographic or social boundary. We believe that missionary presence fuels gospel belief, and we see the results. We see lives transformed, generations forever changed, and churches planted, local expressions of the church that take ownership and thrive. God has made our purpose clear. Together, we seek to take the gospel to every nation, to all tribes, to all peoples, to all languages. We don't see places on a map we see our place in fulfilling the Great Commission. This is our mission. This is your mission. And we are reaching the nations together.
1: So the International Mission Board is something that as Southern Baptists, like we are a part of, as a church, we are like, we are a part of that. That's the reason it says together we're doing this. Whenever you give, you're giving so that the gospel will go around the world. And so we collectively are a part of that, but, but what about you? Like, are you doing your part? And I'm not just talking about throwing money at, at the IMB. Or th- I'm talking about like, are you doing your part here? Are you leveraging your life to the spread of the gospel? And so maybe, maybe God is calling you to go to the nations and I would love to talk to you about the International Mission Board. But maybe God is calling you to, to give so that the gospel can go forward. But every one of us is called to leverage our lives today, wherever we are and with whatever we have for the sake of the gospel so we understand the need we understand the urgency and we share the good news with those who are desperate for it and when you do I want you to see what happens look what happens with me in verse 10 the diseased men came and called to the city's gatekeepers and told them We went to the Aramean camp and no one was there. No human sounds, there was nothing but tethered horses and donkeys and the tents were intact. And the gatekeepers called out and and the news was reported to the king's household. So the king got up in the night and said to his servants, let me tell you what the Arameans have done to us. They know that we're starving and they've left camp to hide in the open country thinking when, when they come out of the city, we will take them alive and go into the city. He thinks it's a trap. But one of his servants responded and said, please, let messengers take five of the horses that are left in the city. Their fate is like the entire Israelite community who will die. So let's send them and see. And the messengers took two chariots with horses and the king sent them after the Aramean army saying, go and see. And so they followed them as far as the Jordan. It's 25 miles. They saw that the whole way was littered with clothes and equipment the Arameans had thrown off in their haste. And the messengers returned and told the king. So what happens whenever we share, right? The diseased men come and and the king is skeptical. He's like, I don't know. It sounds like a trap. Like it it, it can't be that good. And and as you're reading that, you're like, man, what a letdown. Like they could be saved if they'll just listen, right? There's always going to be skeptics and you need to know that. If, you, if you're gonna share the good news, there will always be skeptics. And what I would say is, tell them anyway, right? Tell them anyway. But some of the servants, they overheard and they said, let us, let's go. Like we're gonna die here if we stay. So let us at least go and see for ourselves. And what they find is that it, it's true. Like the Arameans have gone and they find evidence all the way to the Jordan River. And then they come back and they tell the king. All right. They tell the king, and countless people, verse 16 says, are saved. They're, the Israelite people rush out and they find the things that will save them. They had heard the good news, they go and see for themselves, and then they tell the good news. The cycle repeats. And the main point for today is that told people tell people. That's been the process. Christianity for the last 2,000 years, it's how you and I are in this building today. Told people, telling people, right? It's God's plan A for the redemption of us all, is that you and I put skin in the game, we share the good news of the greatest rescue mission on earth. And so as verse 9 says, today is the day of good news. The question is, will we hide it or will we share it? we understand the need? Do we sense the urgency? And if so, then told people, go tell people.
0: Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.